Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I can have your attention, my name's Adrian. I'll be taking us through this next uh, part of our gathering together. A uh, particular welcome if this is your first time around us. Uh, we are about a couple of things, really. We really love God. Uh, that's why we love kind of gathering together, that sense of we're not alone in this, but we're together in our sense of God. You're the very core of who we are, and we want to celebrate in who you are together. But we also love people. We love people because God loves people. And therefore, if you're new around us, the one thing we'd want you to know is you're very, very welcome. And if we can make any kind of sense of an ease of you feeling welcome into us, we'd love to help you feel more welcome. And uh, if you'd like to catch up and hear a bit more about who we are and what we're about, um, if you come over to this corner at the very end of our meeting, you can then kind of discover something more about uh, how you can get connected into us as a community and hopefully how we can serve you as an individual as a community as well. But um, having said that, I just also want to say um, it's good to be back. I've actually been ill for the last two Sundays. Poor old me. Um, I, I expected a little bit more than that, to be honest. There's, um, um, suffering with the flu, uh, but it is really good to be back today. Uh, and this morning I want to kind of carry on where we've been going over the last couple of weeks in terms of this series that we're in in the letter into uh, the church in Colossae entitled Colossians, where we've entitled our series, Jesus Changes Everything Full Stop. As what we're discovering week on week is that Jesus does change everything full stop. You don't need to add to him. Uh, you don't need to uh, expect less than anything from him, that he is able to change everything for us as well as the whole of the cosmos. And today, if you like, I want us to zoom in on how Jesus changes everything for us as individuals. And I want to just briefly look at the lyrics of the last but one song we sang as uh, it's going to help shape something of where we're going to be heading this morning. And I wasn't planning to do this, but when we sang it, I thought, man, that is exactly where we're landing. But we sang these words, God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride on a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. And what I want us to see this morning is this is the life that we are invited to enjoy and to seek to understand. This is a life of what it looks like to say, Jesus, you're at the very center of my life. And therefore, as at the very center of my life, you therefore invite me into the wholeness of the life that you get to offer. A life that allows me to live free from all of my shame, free from uh, all of the things that both I've done, but also those things that have been done to me. A life that allows me to know that actually what, was, what used to be me is now dead and buried. And therefore, I forget, therefore get to live in this life that is all about who Jesus is and how good he is for me. And that's what we're going to discover in this next bit of Colossians. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn quickly to Colossians chapter 3. If you haven't, it'll appear on the screens. And through it, I'm hoping we're going to discover something more of what it means to live a life that is centered on Jesus. And maybe this morning you've come and you say, well, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Well, hopefully this starts to paint a bit more of a picture of what it looks like to have a life centered on Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. 
But maybe for many of us in this room, we've said, no, we've, we've said that Jesus is at the very center. Jesus is the very Lord of our lives. And my hope is this begins as an encouragement of, well, then how does this change everything for us? So Paul writes this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, or slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Paul wants us to understand something. He wants to understand that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we gain a new life. We say goodbye to an old life with us at the center, and we say hello to a new life with Jesus at the center. And they are fundamentally different. And in it, what he wants us to understand is that that life that Jesus then gives us does change everything for us as individuals. And we therefore need to ensure that we're living in light of that new life. And through this, I want us to actually see that there is a way that Paul is encouraging us to live. But with it, we can tend to focus immediately onto verse 5 and beyond. And say, okay, what we're going to look at then is sin and dying to it. We knew that was ultimately what it's going to all be about. We can talk about God's love, but ultimately, we know it's going to be about what you shouldn't be doing. However, I want us to see this morning that Paul will get to talk about dying and saying goodbye to an old life. But to understand the full extent of why we do that, we need to firstly understand the life that we're invited to enjoy, investigate, the adventure we're called to of this amazing life in Jesus. And therefore, this morning, I want to call today's talk to live and let die. If nothing else, you remember that. So live and let die. You see, I believe that in this passage is actually what the marks of a disciple are. The life of a disciple. Someone who said that I want to center my life on Jesus are actually given through this passage. I like for each of us who are seeking to say, yeah, we want Jesus to be at the center. This is a way that is given for us to then seek to enjoy that life daily of how we can say, actually, this isn't just something I'm going to live remembering on a Sunday, occasionally if I get to a small group and at other points I'm trying to find a way to read the Bible, remember Jesus is there, but it just feels like there's this flood of distractions that just come on, there's work pressures, there's family situations that I'm dealing with, there's the, the want for kind of life to be a bit easier, or there's the pain that I'm living with. It's all of those things that come around us. And what I want us to see, say is even within that, there's an invitation daily to live and enjoy this life that Jesus has afforded us. And what we're going to discover is that a life that is about living 
and a life that is about dying. But firstly, I want to look at a life that is about living. Because what we find is in verse 1 to 4, Paul starts in this way. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Let's pause there for a moment. He wants us to be really clear that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, suddenly who we are changes. We're no longer someone who is defined by ourselves at the center and all of the things that went on in our life. Suddenly we're changed and we're now defined with Jesus at the center. So much so it's as though we've died, that's the language that's been used here, been buried, died, it's a symbolism of baptism, of who we were, and now we're raised into this brand new life that is all about Jesus. It isn't that we're kind of in relationship to Jesus. No, no, it's that our life is actually Jesus. He goes on to say that. He says, it isn't that we're just raised with Christ. It's also now that we're hidden with Christ. As though we're literally those that are now encompassed within who Jesus is. That that's a mystery. But actually, one day it'll be fully revealed that actually when, if anyone was really to look at us, what they'd see once we've put our faith and trust in Jesus is Jesus. We're now within him. And that changes everything because it means that when the father looks at us, he sees the son. He doesn't see kind of the things that we've done wrong or the, the choices we make that fall short of who he is. No, he sees who Jesus is, which makes us right before him. Everything that Mike was looking at last week, that our righteousness our right standing before God isn't through something you or I do, it's all through who Jesus is. And we're now hidden in him. And then he goes on and says, oh, it isn't just we're hidden with Christ, but it's this Christ who is your life. That's, in essence, saying our life now is Jesus. It isn't, we're just in relationship, is that the very essence of our being is Jesus. Are you starting to get hold of what it is to have this new life? We have been raised, no longer with us at the center, into this new life, a life with Christ, a life hidden in Christ, a life that is Christ. The very essence of who Jesus is, is who we are. So Paul then says, if that's the life, then there's a way to live. It carries on. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, firstly, it's about your heart, your appetite, your, the way you're seeking. Seek Jesus, who is above everything. And that seated at the right hand of God is like a reference to Psalm 110 where it's referring to Jesus being put in charge of everything. So if you don't know who Jesus is, well, he's the one above everything. So set your mind on him who is above everything. Set your heart on him. And he says, verse two, set your minds on things, if you go back one, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So you've got to live this way by setting your heart on him. So live this way by setting your mind on him. Those things above, again, is pointing to Jesus who is above everything. Set your mind on him. And then for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You have this life that you're to seek living by setting your heart on him, 
setting your mind on him, but also knowing that he is the hope that you have. That one day you will forever be with him as he gets this earth filled with his rule and reign. The thing is though, that sounds good, but it still sounds a bit mystical. It still sounds kind of slightly out there. So I just want to push it in a little bit more detail. What does it really mean then to set your heart on Jesus? Because that's surely the question, isn't it? If we're living in the truth of this new life we have in Jesus, then what does it look like to live a life where our heart is set on him? Our heart, the very core of who we are, our appetite, our affection is set on him. Well, to help us with this, I'd say it's about remembering the truth and reality of who we are in him. So the Bible's just full of moments of just saying, hey, this is who you are now in Christ. We've celebrated some of them already in terms of our gathered worship together. But Romans 8.1 says this, therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ, no one brings any charge or accusation against us. We're free, we're forgiven. Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, forever loved. 2 Corinthians 1.5, our comfort abounds through Christ. In Christ, you have all the comfort you need. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. This isn't like a pipe dream, this is a reality. Galatians 3.26, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Ephesians 1.5, blessed, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, is that like a random list of verses that I'm putting there just to make myself feel good this morning? No. It's a purposeful list of verses that are there that if you've got a phone, I'd encourage you to take a photo of it. If you haven't, we'll get it online this week. Why? Because this is what it looks like to set your heart on Christ. That we have this amazing new life that we've got to live in. This life that is with Christ, is Christ, hidden in Christ. But the reality is, are we living in it? See, what this means for me is daily I wake up and the first thought that's going through my mind is, Father, I thank you that I can call you Father. That's my discipline at the moment. Father, I thank you I can call you Father. Why? Because you see me in Christ. As you love your son, Jesus, you love me. And then what I do is I spend a bit more time with God. I don't just literally get up, and I'm not a great morning person, but I am trying to do this discipline. Father, I thank you that you're my father. Then I have some coffee, nice to my family, and then I get a bit more time set aside with God. And in that time, it isn't a shopping list time. 
isn't God, would you do this, 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 and this? No, in that time, I'm coming and putting my heart towards Jesus. Jesus, I want you to fill everything of who I am. And therefore I come, and it may not be these lists, but I'm going to do that this week. But I'll be looking and reminding myself of these truths. Saying, this is who I am because of you, Jesus. And then having done that for a period of time, I don't then think, well, get on with the day. No, throughout my day, I pause. Center. And in that centering, remembering, this is who I am. My heart is now given to you, Jesus. This is what determines everything that's going to go on. Now, for me, you can look and say, hey, but you're employed by the church. You're paid to do this. Hey, guess what? I used to do it when I wasn't. I used to do it when I worked in the civil service. Civil service, I had moments. My moments were these. Going to get files, making cups of tea for others, and going to the toilet. In those three moments were moments within my day that I take time out to remember, oh, this is who I am. My heart is set on you, Jesus. I'd be encouraging us, we need to live in this life and the first way we do it is by setting our heart on Jesus, our affection, our appetite on him by remembering who we are because of him. Then Paul goes on and says, well, it's also about setting your mind on things above. That things above isn't just like some lofty thing. It's saying, actually, again, that things above is Jesus, the one who is above all, is in all. He's the one we fix our minds on. Now that, you could be thinking, well, isn't the same as our hearts? No, 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 this is about our thinking, how we're going to decide to live. We've got a heart that we're saying, actually, everything about me, I want it to be governed by who you are, Jesus. And now I'm going to cause my mind to be like you, Jesus. And that setting our mind on things above is setting our mind on who Jesus is in his rule and reign over everything. Now the thing is, we can then think, well, this is a bit mystical again. How do we get to see that? Well, we get to see it by looking at Scripture. So if you look at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, it paints a very, very vivid picture of what it looks like when Jesus' rule and reign is through and in everything. And in short, what you discover is everything is good. Everything is filled with his love. Everything is filled with his light. Everything is filled with his righteousness. So we get to look at that and I'd be encouraging you, saying, actually, as well as those moments of saying, how is my heart surrounded, engulfed by who Jesus is and how he defines me? It's then saying, how is my mind being defined daily by what it looks like for his rule and reign to saturate everything? Because as I see that, I begin to understand it for myself, of this new life that I have. But it isn't just that we look at the end picture. It's also... 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, but we have the mind of Christ. Like that is perplexing. That Jesus who is God, who we are now raised up into, we're told we now share his mind. In other words, he's not hiding anything of himself towards us. He's allowing us to know fully who he is. The question is, do we want to know? If I'm honest, sometimes I don't. 
I don't, know, I don't want to know what Jesus thinks about some of the things I'm doing. I don't want to know what Jesus thinks about some of the things I'm thinking of doing. Because if I'm brutally honest, I know the answer. But Jesus says, no, I want to share the fullness of who I am with you. I want you to know me. There is an invitation for each and every one of us to know the mind of Christ. To know what Jesus thinks about how we're living. To know what Jesus thinks about how he wants us to live. To know how, what Jesus thinks about how he wants us to live towards others. Jesus wants to share that with you and with me. This isn't a hidden kind of truth that's to be hidden behind some curtain where only one person a year gets to go behind and try and grapple with it. No, this is to be known by anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus. This is part of the life that we get to live in. One where we get to know the mind of Christ. Are we seeking to know him? Are we seeking to know how he thinks? Are we seeking to know what his will is for us? It isn't hidden, it's there for us to see. It's there for us to see, both in respect to the truth of the Bible, but also by the Spirit. That knowing Jesus is both knowing the truth of who he is as the raised Lord, but also that knowing that he's come and brought his Spirit in us, in order that we'd know and see more of him, but also we'd have the power to live in the life that he has for us. See, I wonder whether even in this, we can say, okay, right, so I've got to read Revelation 21, 22, and yeah, maybe I can start to say, Jesus, what's your mind? But still we can think, well, what does that really look like? Well, I'd say it means daily, again, coming to a point to discover more of who Jesus is. Do you know one of the best places to discover more of Jesus is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're there to reveal the accounts of who Jesus is, how he lived, what he said. They're not there simply to say, oh yeah, I see my need for Jesus, great, I've seen it, now I carry on, now I get into the letters written by the apostles. No, no. The accounts of Jesus are there for us to see who Jesus is, to therefore see who God is, this invisible God. See, I just briefly looked through the Gospel of Matthew. This is what I discovered about how Jesus thinks, what Jesus did. You see, you discover things about justice, mercy, love, prayer, forgiveness, sex, purity, giving, judgment of others, rest, peace, grace, worry, responsibility, serving, care for the poor, position and authority, taxes, yes, taxes, compassion, taxes again, judgment and eternal life. And sometimes we can think, hey, but is Jesus really interested in what's going on in my life? Oh, yes, he is. Read the accounts of the gospel and you'll discover what his mind is in order that you can allow your mind to be transformed by his. Why? Because you have, I have the mind of Christ. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, raised up into him, hidden in him, the life that we have is him. Therefore, we set our mind on him. The deal's this, though. Your mind will never be set on him if you just trust me or whoever else happens to stand on this bit here. If you build your faith just on what is said here, it will rock a lot. You'll hit situations, you think, I don't know what to do here. 
You'll hit moments and think, this isn't fair, I want out. You'll hit moments where you think, hey, but that's too costly. And no, the point of this isn't that we trust just what's here. We trust what's in the Word, the Bible. We trust in our relationship with God. That we've now been raised into this new life to enjoy this new life. Therefore, you and I get to set our hearts on him, get to set our minds on him, but also get to set our hope in him. See, this life is about living, it is about living in terms of our hearts towards him, our minds towards him, but it's also knowing the hope that we have. First of all, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the truth. It isn't that you might do. It isn't that this whole world's kind of gonna go down the pan and then we'll kind of see what's gonna happen. No, no, the truth is this, that when you're in Christ, that's where you'll remain forever. And the hope of what we see in Revelation 21, 22, of God bringing where he is, heaven, onto earth and filling earth as a place full of his goodness, his compassion and love is somewhere where you and I will dwell. Why? Because of Jesus. And what is hidden at the moment, what sometimes can seem like nuts, what people can think, say, why do you believe this? Will one day be seen. And suddenly everything we've sought to do, every way we've sought to live makes sense as we realize, actually, this is where our life was always heading. See, suddenly when you live knowing the hope we have, you suddenly think, actually, it's the stuff that I'm entertaining. If I'm reality, think, how will that ever be in God's earth as it's meant to be, filled with his goodness, love, and compassion? How will that part of my life ever be there? Well, it's not. That's the point. Because when men are live in this new life with Jesus, not entertaining the old life, which brings me on to the next part. See, this life is for living, but this life is also for dying. Verse 5 to 10, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." The more and more we spend time here living in the life that we have in Jesus, setting our hearts on who he is, setting our minds on who he is, setting our hope on the hope that he brings, the more and more our old life that we've died to becomes more and more obvious. I can go around pointing out in my own life and in your life things that we're entertaining that are death. But ultimately, you and I have to get hold of that. You and I have to get hold of the fact, actually, that is an old life. And the only thing that ever brings is death. That's that wrath that's been spoken of, is that it always leads to death. Stuff of the old life that's meant to be dead and buried always leads to death. 
Yeah, why does Paul talk about this? Hey, surely it's that we've got this new life. Because Paul's a realist. He understands that we still live digging up the old life. We can still sometimes lose sight of the new life and think, hey, there's a guy I listen to, Chris Valentine, who kind of talks about this. He says, there's this point where it just seems like many believers just go back to the grave of their old life and dig it up and just kick the bones around. And I think so often we think that's the best it's going to be. We satisfy ourselves with the bones of our old life, or maybe even the drags of the clothing that's decomposing in the grave. We think, oh yeah, but it felt good. So we put it on. Dig it up, put it on. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that we know we've got this new life, but there's still something of that old life. It is dead and buried, but it still seems to cling. Because we've got this journey to the end that we are being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creation. We are this new life in Christ. Oh yeah, but we're being made into it. We've got to discover more of it. The reality is that Adrian Hurst, age 14, comes into this knowledge. That's me, so I'm going to talk in third person. Slightly weird, do it occasionally. Adrian Hurst, age 14, comes into the knowledge of who Jesus is, the peace he has to offer. And I say, actually, I want in. At that point, I changed location. Old life, dead and buried. New life, got to enjoy. I've then, since then, spent 30 years seeking to live more and more in the good of this new life I have. And the thing I found is that old life. Sometimes I go back and I dig bits up and I think, oh, but that was that kind of is an easy option. That easily satisfied. Sometimes it isn't that. It's just I find there's, there's bits of me that are wrong thinking or wrong, wrong ways of behaving that are just there still. And Paul doesn't give an exhaustive list here of saying, hey, this is it. This is what to put the spotlight on in terms of the old life. Do, do, do. do you see it in yourself? Do you see it in others? Don't we love showing it in others? I love it. I love pointing out other people's way of their old life. I don't really like pointing out in myself. Why? Because it's more costly for me to change than to tell someone else to. But the reality is this. We need to shine the light on ourselves by Jesus, by his, our heart towards him, by our mind on him. Allow him to shine his light on us to expose the bones that we're digging up, to expose the ways that we're seeking to still live. And so he doesn't give an exhaustive list, but he talks about sexual immorality. In other words, sex outside of marriage, impurity, lust, evil desires, anything that's with that intent of self, that this is just going to gain for me, of greed, which ultimately, Paul says, it's just about putting something as God rather than God. You're seeking to love something more than how you're seeking to love God. Then interesting, you know, we can see those things. Oh yeah, they're the big hitters. <laughs> Sexual immorality. <laughs> Out of the park. Then Paul goes on and says, hey, hey, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Oh, and lies. All of that, old life. 
And if you're entertaining that, if I am entertaining that, or the other ones that aren't listed here, actually what I'm settling for is death. Oh, but no one sees me of what I'm looking on my screen. Jesus does. Why? Are you hidden with him? Your life is his. Where you go, he's with you. Oh yeah, but no one knows what I fiddled on that form. Oh, he does. Yeah, but what if that person upset me? Surely it was okay then to kind of say, hey, who do they think they are? And tell everyone else about what they did. Is it? Is that part of the new life? Is that going to be part of how God gets the earth when it's meant to be? Filled with his goodness and love and compassion? Or is that like the life that was buried? Is that a life of death? Is that a life of bones that we just need to leave buried. See, life is for living, but it's also for dying. See, I know for me what it means to be dying at the moment. So reality at this point in my life is this. For me to die is an old bone that I buried many years ago. An old bone of fear of what others thought. And suddenly it's kind of come back up. And I've found myself holding it, thinking, I wonder what they think. Is this going to be right? And what I felt God keeps speaking to me about is, hey, it's not about what others think. It's about what I think. And I say, you've got nothing to prove, right? Because there's no condemnation. Is that because I've got some secret sin I'm not telling everyone? No, no, it's not that. It's just literally this. I'm taking up this old bone. And somehow tossing it around thinking, oh yeah, maybe my life should be worried about what other people think. That's nuts, isn't it? Jesus, for freedom, he came and died so I would be free. Why am I handling this bone? Well, because sometimes it's there and it feels powerful. But it isn't. Because... The new life is with Jesus and he has power over everything. And therefore, my ability to let go of that bone isn't down to me, it's down to who he is. And the more I get my eyes on him, my heart on him, my mind on him, the more I realize the power that is in me that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now allows me to say, drop the bone. See, in terms of dying, I'd say it means three things. It means, firstly, we have to recognize what's the old life that we're allowing to cling to us? I know what it is for me. What is it for you? What's the bone that you're playing with? Thinking it defines you. It's just a bone. Recognize it. And I tell you what, your thing isn't Worse than mine, and mine thing isn't worse than yours. They're actually exactly the same. They're causing us to fall short and live short of the life that Jesus has got for us to recognize. The second thing is we repent. Repent isn't some kind of word that's 
kind of used as a religious word. And then I, repent means, actually, I'm going to go from this way and 180, turn around and say, no, I'm going to go this way. And then it's saying, God, I'm sorry. So for me, I'm saying, God, I'm sorry where I picked up that bone. And God, I say, I choose not to hold it anymore. Buried. And I turn and walk into the life that you have for me. Which then brings me in that new life is I then have to renew. Isn't I just leave myself in some void? Old life, old bone gone, buried. No, no, I've got to actively do something. I've got to get back into what? The life that I'm going to be living. I renew myself by what? Setting my heart more and more on who I am in Jesus. Setting my mind more and more on his way of thinking. Setting my, my whole person more and more on the hope that I have in him. And that allows me to start to renew. And then the other thing I do is I think, hey man, I'm not made to be in isolation. I'm made for a community. So what do I do? I, I then say, hey, would you help me to others walking this? Man, I've just done that with all of you here. I'll do the same this afternoon. So what does that mean? It means that all of you are going to come and ask me every so often, how are you doing picking up the bone? And I'm going to have to be honest then, aren't I? Remember, don't lie. So I'm going to be honest, have I picked it up? And do you know the truth is, sometimes I might go back to have a sniff. And in those moments, what we do is we don't beat each other up and say, what are you doing, Adrian? They say, come on, Adrian, you know this isn't good. It only leads to death. Go back to life. And what a bunch of people to be part of, to know that we've got each other's backs, to know that actually we're going to push one another on, to enjoy more and more of this life we have as we're raised with Christ. Live and let die. Two questions. How do you need to live? And how do you need to die? So some of us would say, well, actually, I've never centered my life on Jesus. But if I'm honest, I know that my life at the moment, it ain't working. And I really want this life that Jesus offers. And for you, I encourage you, come and speak to me at the end. Not because I'm magic, but just because it's easier to find me. I'll be literally stood here. I'd love to talk to you. For many of us, though, that we've said, no, no, we've got this new life. Are we living in it? What's the thing we're going to do this week to live more in? Not what are you going to do in a month's time? A month's time couldn't be bothered with, to be honest, because if you're doing a month's time, you're never going to do it. What are you going to do from tomorrow morning? What am I going to do? I'd say, why don't we all spend this week daily seeking to put our hearts on all those statements of who we are in Christ? Why don't we commit to do that? And maybe even start to read through a gospel account to, in order that we start to see our mind like Christ. In order that as we face situations, we think, hey, how can I be Jesus here? What about the dying bit? What does it mean for you? What's the thing? I'm not asking for more than one. Some of us, I know for me, I can always think of, man, there's loads. One, 
What's the old, one thing of the old life you're still entertaining, the bone that you're still handling, that today, not tomorrow, today, you're going to say, no more. I recognize, I repent, and now I renew. And on that one, I'm going to be a bit more kind of in your face. And I'll explain like in a moment. She will stand. Just while we're stood, why don't we just close our eyes? Just want to give us literally 60 seconds. In that 60 seconds, I want us to consider what does it mean for me to be living? And then what does it mean for me to be dying? And in terms of the dying part, I just know for some here, we just know that we've settled for something that is far less than the life that we've got. And as we've begun to see more and more of the life, we've realized, actually, I just want it done. I'm not going to hold the bone. I'm not going to dig up that thing anymore. And for us, in a moment, I'm just going to give us a moment. And I'll say, if you want to respond with everyone's eyes closed, I want you to put your hand up. And as you're putting your hand up, is a way of saying, actually, Jesus, that's it. I'm done with that. And at the end, I'm then going to encourage you to come forward to be prayed for in order that you know you're not alone, in order that you know God's forgiveness and God's power. And it isn't because I want you to be exposed, it's rather because I want you to be free. And we're not to worry about what other people think of us, because actually all they're going to think is, that's amazing, that person's seeking to live more in the life that they have. There you go. A few moments of silence. Okay, if you know there's something you need to die to, I'm going to count to three. And when you get to three, you put your hand up. And it's just between you and God, oh no. And then I'm going to say, we're going to end the meeting. I'll pray for us. Then I'll encourage you just to come forward as we'd love for some people to pray for you. So one, two, three, put your hand up. Thank you very much. Jesus, I thank you so much for every individual here. And I thank you, your desire is that we live in the beauty of the life that you have for us. And I thank you, our life is you. And I pray, God, would you cause us as individuals and as a community to spur one another on to live in the good of the life that we have. And I pray, God, that you'd cause us to spur one another on to live dying to the stuff that isn't of that life. And I pray, God, we become good at living and good at dying. I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.